This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. Hello and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Jane Brown, filling in for Libby Snymer. Many older Canadians know firsthand about the challenges of being a caregiver. It becomes a balancing act between finding the right amount of personal time and spending the time needed looking after loved ones. Fortunately, this week, the Ontario government has announced a program called Patients First, designed to make things easier for families in these situations. Coming up, Health Minister Dr. Eric Hoskins will tell us about the plans. Plus, on average, Canadian artists only make two-thirds of what the rest of us do. It's a challenging life, especially as they head toward their golden years. Scott Walker is the executive director of the Canadian Senior Artists Resource Network, and he'll talk about these challenges in just a bit. First, though, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A new study highlights the importance of good mental health as we age. Researchers have found that people who have suffered long-time depression may be at an increased risk for stroke. In the study published this week in the Journal of the American Heart Association, the researchers reviewed data collected from more than 16,000 adults aged 50 and older who had never had a stroke. Every two years during the 12-year study, researchers interviewed the men and women to evaluate their symptoms of depression and to find out whether they'd had a stroke. They found that adults aged 50 and over who had symptoms of depression that lasted for more than two years were twice as likely to have a stroke in the following two years compared to women and men with no signs of depression. For over 25 years, Zoomer actor Harry Shearer has been the voice of iconic Simpsons characters such as Ned Flanders and Mr. Burns. Now he's announced he's leaving the show. Shearer tweeted that his decision to leave was based on the fact that signing on to do more seasons wouldn't have allowed him the freedom to do other work. At 71, Shearer has had an incredible career in radio, film, and television. Aside from his work on The Simpsons, he was a player on Saturday Night Live and starred in the mockumentary This is Spinal Tap. It's a good example of the power of social media and the kindness of strangers. A BBC Radio Facebook post about Winnie Blagden, who will be turning 100 on May 31st, has gone viral. Winnie has lived her entire life in Sheffield, England. She did not have children, and following the death of her husband, no longer had any remaining family members. The social media post called on the community to send greetings, letters, and cards to Winnie in honor of her 100th birthday. It received an overwhelming response. Thousands of people have pledged everything from cards to a fish and chip supper to 100 pink roses. Now a big party's in the works, complete with a cabaret entertainer, and a beauty salon has even offered up a pamper package to get Winnie ready for her big day. 
And finally, file this one under the weird and obscure. A 51-year-old British man sneezed out a blast from his past. Steve Easton was overcome by a sneezing fit and a very uncomfortable sensation before he felt something work its way through his nostrils. He wasn't immediately able to recognize the object, but his 77-year-old mother knew what was going on. It was the rubber tip of a toy dart that had gone missing when he was seven or eight years old. At the time, Mrs. Easton took her son to the hospital thinking he'd swallowed the dart. The doctors couldn't find any evidence, and he was released. She said she worried about it for years and is now happy she has closure. I'm Jane Brown, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. If you're looking after an elderly loved one at home, wouldn't it be a welcome change if you could find quick, affordable, and substantial home and community care? Ontario's health minister has set a goal to make this happen. Dr. Eric Hoskins has introduced a program called Patients First, a roadmap to strengthen home and community care. He joins me on the line. Dr. Hoskins, clearly home care is becoming a bigger priority as our society ages. That's right. And one of the challenges now is that uh, it's uh, across the province, um, that process of assessment and defining needs and then providing services, it can be a little patchy and uneven and inconsistent across the province. So I want to put an end to that. I want to know, I want the individual in Thunder Bay or in Brantford or in Ottawa to know that the the assessment process to determine what their needs are it will be the same wherever they live in the province and that they'll be identified as having a, a certain level of need and then based on that it's almost like a straight line to determine what the basket of services that they're entitled to and that that whole process be transparent and accountable so that those individuals and their caregivers can fully understand objectively and in a transparent way how they've been assessed and what that means in terms of the care that can be provided for them. I guess there are two questions that come to mind. When will this be implemented, this more streamlined process? And where do patients and caregivers begin? Is it a phone number, an email address? How does it work? Well, if they have a need for home care, if they're already in the community, they may get in touch themselves with their community care access centers or perhaps their primary care provider, their family doctor might do that. If they're in hospital and the hospital identifies that they need uh, some care after perhaps maybe a a hip replacement, that the hospital, there's care coordinators, uh, generally nurses that help them with that process so that they get the care at home when they need it. But we're intending, in fact, we're already rolling out some of these, uh, there's 10 steps in the plan going forward forward and it's, it's, it's sort of the beginning of a, of, a, of a transition that focuses less on programs and services and focuses on the patient, on the mm-hmm. client and the resident and how can we transform the services so it's more seamless and consistent uh, for them and of the highest quality. We're going to be uh, providing um, Ontarians, uh, uh, some of them who choose this, the opportunity to do what's called self-funding or self-directed care where we'll provide them with funding so that they can purchase their own home care services and they can do that in a fashion which is best for them. They might have a PSW that they really love. They want to hire that specific individual, for example. We're going to, uh, we're increasing funding for home and community care by 5% a year for the next few years. That's $750 million new dollars that will go into the system. Uh, we're going to be expanding caregiver supports, which is really important. To We're not only going to be acknowledging and recognizing the important vital work that our caregivers do to support people who are 
are uh, in the home and need that support. But we're going to be providing them with tools like training and education as well as things like respite so that the caregiver can not only help their loved one but can take care of themselves. In the coming uh, couple of years, we're going to, we've made a commitment as well to fund 20 more hospitals in the province because that is such an important uh, uh, service and um, an option for, for individuals and their families who are facing uh, end-of-life challenges. So it's, it's an incredibly challenging field, home and community care, and uh, anyone who has, um, has uh, needed services or anyone who has cared for somebody who uh, requires that kind of support knows uh, how important it is for us to get this right. Um, I believe that by putting the patient first, that is that, that's an important sort of philosophical first step, but then we're doing many, many practical things to uh, improve the level of services for Ontarians. Doctor, thank you, and congratulations on your efforts. Thank you. So is the government getting it right? Susan Eng, Vice President of Advocacy for CARP, A New Vision of Aging, is in studio with me. Susan, do you like what you're hearing from the health minister? Well, certainly it's wise for them to look at it as a a global challenge so they have a proper strategy. Obviously, for us, we're waiting to see whether or not it makes any difference on the ground for families starting immediately. And uh, from what I can tell, there will be some extra hours of care that might be available. The funding is going to be more sustained, uh, an extra year being added to it. So those are two very, very good things. Um, The question is whether or not the way that the uh, services are delivered or the access is delivered is going to change, it's going to be suitable for people, is it going to happen immediately? Right, because we're not really hearing an answer as to when it will be implemented. And in some cases, uh, it's a pilot, it's it's a concept which is yet to be uh, accepted widespread across the province. Well, of course, I don't criticize them for having pilots, but the key for us is to see when it, whether those pilots you know, uh, mean that there's going to be an absolute shift in whether or not people will get more care today. They've had other pilots before. For example, we've talked about uh, virtual homes. The virtual wards where people who have very critical care can leave hospitals sooner because they have case management follow them home. Well, where's that across the province? There are a few places where it is, but it doesn't actually exist as an absolute availability across the province. So we need to cover all parts of the province, just not the few pilot locations. What are the biggest complaints or compliments that you're hearing from caregivers uh, across the province? What is CARP hearing about that? The reality now is that more and more people are taking on caregiving. And while some are just helping out a little bit, getting people to medical appointments, maybe cleaning the yard, others, a good 25% of caregivers are providing what is called heavy care, more than 10 or 15 hours a week, which means many of them are losing their jobs and, and really need the training and support and respite. For those people, they really depend on the minister getting this right. They need to know that within a couple of weeks, not months, that they will have home care in their own home that's suitable for what they need and that it will be consistent. That's not some benchmark that they're guaranteeing yet. What would CARP advise? Is there anything you see in this list of recommendations or in this list of proposals for patients first that you, that you would like to see that's not there already? Well, I would like to see more urgency, more immediacy, uh, more demonstrated access for average families today. Susan Ang is the Vice President of Advocacy for CARP, A New Vision of Aging. Mm-hmm.
You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Jane Brown for Libby Snymer. We'll take a quick break and then return with a look at what happens to working artists as they enter their Zoomer years. Welcome back to the Zoomer Weekend Review. Libby Snymer is off this week. I'm Jane Brown. What is life like for actors, singers, and other artists as they get into their Zoomer years? In many cases, they're not able to practice their passion as they did at the height of their careers and often find it difficult to make ends meet. That's where the Canadian Senior Artists Resource Network, or CSARN, comes in. It's a Toronto-based organization that is helping older artists stay vital and connected, both to their craft and to younger artists. Scott Walker is the executive director of CSARN and joins me in studio. Scott, tell us about some of the challenges older artists and creators face as they age. A lot of artists face similar challenges to Zoomers everywhere. There are financial issues, there are health issues, there are housing issues, issues of isolation. But for artists, the one thing that has driven them all of their lives, and I'll say us all of our lives because I'm an artist as well, is the desire to keep producing our art, to keep creating, or at least sharing what we have learned and what we've developed with uh, with others. And the challenges are that the, the opportunities to do that seem to diminish as you get older. Either the roles aren't there, or if you're a performer, you have to travel to another city in order to do the role. And sometimes that's just not possible, either because of family or health issues. Um, or sometimes you just physically can't do the work anymore. So there are there are many challenges to continuing to create art as you get older. Now, what what we're noticing, especially as theater goers for the movies, that because some of the great actors of all time are now getting into their older years, we mm-hmm. are seeing more people like Michael Douglas and Christopher Plummer, Jane Fonda, Helen Mirren on the big screen. Is that helping to elevate um, the the uh, ability for older actors to stay vital? Yes and no. I mean. Yes, it is helping because they are such great performers and they're out there still creating and still enthralling and delighting us. And so that that helps uh, raise the, the consciousness of the ability of older performers to keep performing or older artists. But by the same token, most of the Hollywood writers, a lot of playwrights aren't writing for older artists. Let's talk about some success stories, uh, men and women associated with the Canadian Senior Artists Resource Network, and how they've continued to practice their craft and support themselves. A lot of them uh, continue to to work. I mean, if you're a writer, you can you can just continue writing. And we have people who are associated with our mentorship program who are Governor General award-winning writers, and they are continuing to, to write. A lot of the senior artists that we work with continue to share their uh, their craft through mentorship. And let's talk about that, the importance of mentoring young people as we age and, and sharing the skills and talent that we have and want to pass along to younger people. That's a big part of what you're doing at CSARN. It's, it's a huge part of it. Our mentorship program 
program is now into its, uh, well, we've had our third round of mentors uh, matched up with, with their colleagues. We've got about 15 mentorships going right now. We'll have another dozen or so coming out in uh, later in the year. And we've got, uh, as I said, Governor General award-winning uh, authors, and we've got uh, Order of Canada holders. We've got a, we've got a mentor, a composing mentor. Uh, he was in New York in the 80s, and he wrote something like a thousand jingles, many of which we were all humming at the time. They were so famous. He also played and arranged with the New York Philharmonic. He's written for Stratford. He's written for Shaw. And he's available as a mentor. We've got some incredible talent out there. Now, those, of course, are the good news stories. On the other side of the picture, there are artists who are not working and living below the poverty line and maybe bordering on depression and and uh, not getting the things that they need to sustain their life. These are the people who need assistance and who you are also working with. We are. We work with them uh, along with one of our sister organizations, uh, PAL Canada, and, and uh, PAL has chapters throughout uh, throughout the country. Uh, PAL used to stand for Performing Arts Lodges, and there are a couple of residences. There's one here in Toronto uh, called PAL Place that uh, that provides uh, socially assisted housing for older artists uh, who are in need. Uh, but they also provide so many other services. So there are fortunately. There are a few of us out there who are endeavoring to help uh, artists. I mean, there are the the problem is that that artists, um, generally speaking, as as a group, only earn about two thirds what the average Canadian earns, and that's that's when they're in their peak working years. Uh, there are exceptions, of course, always, but uh, but that's the reality. So it's really hard to save for your retirement. Mm-hmm even if you want to retire. Now, there will be actors and painters, other artists listening now who aren't associated with your organization. What is the best way for them to get in touch? Through our website, which is csarn.ca, C-S-A-R-N.ca. We also have a phone number uh, here in Toronto, which is 647-854-1434. People can reach me directly at that number. Thank you for coming in, Scott. It was great to see you again. Always a joy, Jane. Scott Walker is the executive director of the Canadian Senior Artists Resource Network. I'm Jane Brown, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. In just a moment, we'll return to remember the life and music of B.B. King. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Jane Brown, in for Libby Snymer. Time now for your International Arts Datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Bob Comsick. In New York City, an act of God stars Jim Parsons of TV's Big Bang Theory. It's a play in which God answers some of life's eternal questions. An act of God is in previews at Studio 54. In Los Angeles, the Museum of Contemporary Art has the largest exhibition to date of work by American artist William Popel. His seminal work in the realms of performance and installation have influenced generations of artists. The most notable work in the exhibit is a 45-foot windblown U.S. flag. To London, England, where Bradley Cooper stars in The Elephant Man. The Academy Award-nominated actor has won praise for his Broadway performance as an extremely disfigured man who becomes a celebrity in Victorian London. And in Rome, a citywide exposition celebrates the marvels of the Baroque period and its impact on Italy's capital city. I'm Bob Comsick for the International Arts Datebook. This week, we lost a legend. Blues musician B.B. King passed away at the age of 89. 
Born in Mississippi, B.B. King began performing in the 1940s. He moved to Memphis, Tennessee, where he took a job as a radio disc jockey. He was given a short amount of time to play his guitar live on the radio each day. And during these segments, he went by the name The Beale Street Blues Boy, which was eventually shortened to B.B., for most of a career spanning nearly 70 years, B.B. King was not only the undisputed king of the blues, but a mentor to scores of guitarists, including Eric Clapton, Otis Rush, Buddy Guy, Jimi Hendrix, John Mayall, and Keith Richards. He recorded more than 50 albums and toured the world well into his 80s, often performing 250 or more concerts a year. Right now, we'll hear a little bit of his iconic 1969 hit single, B.B. King and The Thrill Is Gone. That was the incredible playing of blues legend B.B. King. It was from his hit song, The Thrill Is Gone. B.B. King passed away this week at the age of 89. And that's it for this week's edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Jane Brown. Libby Snymer returns next week. Be sure to tune in and stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive Producer, Moses Nyman. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program Director, John Vandriel. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air and The Garden Show.